There are so many ways of looking at Savitri. One of them is that it is a concentration of knowledge, a concentration of consciousness and a concentration of delight because it has emerged from the being of what we call as truth, consciousness and bliss. So it carries something of that through the pages, through the lines, through the words, through the sounds and conveys itself to our inner consciousness when we receive it in the right spirit with an openness because it is a revelatory knowledge. Shurabinda in one of his letters says, uh, it is not the knowledge of the usual kind which we receive through the senses. It's not the knowledge of the kind which we analyze and deduce and infer through the mind and its processes. It's a knowledge on the contrary which one receives in the mind silence and as one begins to soar beyond the mind or dive into the depths of one's own soul, of one's own being. In Savitri itself there is a very beautiful uh, three lines. This light comes not by struggle or by thought. In the mind silence the transcendent acts and the hushed heart hears the unuttered word. So it is the unuttered word which is uttered for the sake of us. And that's the beauty of Savitri. It is Shurabindu's gift to earth. As we know, uh, during the late uh, 1940s, Shurabindu would observe that uh, it is one of my most important works and it is getting delayed because all his energies, uh, his consciousness, his power he had put into the war to help the aliens win the victory. And as a result, this work was getting delayed. And in 1950, Shurabindu withdraws outwardly, so to say, beyond the limits of our mortal sight. But he places within the range and uh, realm of our mind and thought Savitri. So in 1951, Savitri first appeared on earth in the form that we know it. And uh, so it's Shurabindu's gift not just, uh, I won't use the word parting gift because uh, he never parts from earth consciousness, but it is a gift to us so that we can share this knowledge and grow into that, not only by merely reading it, but through the path and the yoga that we find in Savitri. The mother says he has crammed the whole universe into, a, into this book. And she says that if you read Savitri, in a state of quiet receptivity, it will lead you through each and every stage of the yoga of transformation up to the highest heights of realization. It does so because it contains within itself what is called uh, as the mantra, which Shubhinder speaks of as the highest intensity of uh, vibration, in highest intensity of style a highest intensity of rhythm and a highest intensity of substance of truth. So all these three things are enclosed within it. So these are not just words but the word body of Shurabindo or capsules of light and delight. So it's a whole universe, everything is here in it as, a, as an essential knowledge 
branching out into its manifold forms. So normally when we try to arrive at knowledge, the senses try to arrive at it by constructing reality by bits and parts, the mind gathers information and tries to piece it together and tries to arrive at knowledge. But the way of yoga is just the other way around. It first arrives at essential knowledge, the one reality. Uh, and then from that it sees how that reality has branched out into its manifold aspects. So it is a knowledge from within outwards as we read in the morning. So it's an another kind, a different kind of knowledge. And today I think we will focus on the book of yoga, especially the triple soul forces and the finding of the soul. So in a way it is, uh, Shobinda is giving us through this, the key, as it were, to open the doors of that knowledge, of that Veda, which we read in the morning, that is secret in the heart of things. It is not the Veda which is written outside, of course, that is a manifestation of that inner truth. But there is a Veda that is written as a blueprint of life, and we too can arrive at it through ways and processes, through the path that has been opened to us by Shurabindra and the Mother. And of all these things, the first step in this yoga, the first fundamental step is to find one's soul. In fact, in one of the small letters, the mother says, the only tragedy of life is to have died without finding one's soul. And it hits you because, you know, our whole sense of values and fortunes and misfortunes change. From an outward point of view, often what we regard as successes and fortune. Very often, as we read this morning, within each success a seed of failure lurks. Because in the process we miss out on the one thing that needs to be known. But here, Shobindra is giving us that key, finding which all else can be known and all other doors open. So this is like a master key within us that can open all the doors not only of knowledge, but of power and vision and delight. So, this comes um, in Book 7, the Book of Yoga. It starts from page 465. I'll just be reading uh, from bits and portions initially before we come to the main canto. It's very interesting that the very first canto, this is the book of yoga, and the very first canto is the joy of union, the ordeal of the foreknowledge of death, and the heart's grief and pain. This is something which we all experience. It is not something unique to Savitri. If there is an extra book, maybe we can uh, would like to share. Yeah. 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 Or else someone can open the computer. Oh. Yeah. yeah, we can open on the one copy can be opened on the computer. Open on the computer. Yeah. You know that, no? Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, though basically this canto is, uh, how does the yoga begin? It begins uh, for Savitri as in our life, when we face the stark reality of life as it is. Um, in, in this particular context, it is the foreknowledge of death of Satyavan, whom she loves, whom she has chosen to get married. And she is told that he is going to die after one more year. So this day returning, Satyavan must die. And as Shubhita says in the author's note that Savitri is the tale of conjugal love conquering death. It's very interesting that he almost qualifies the love as conjugal love. But it's not the conjugal love of the ordinary kind. It is the love of the highest kind. We will just quickly read that author's note. It's in the beginning. The tale of Satyavan and Savitri is recited in the Mahabharata as a story of conjugal love conquering death. But this legend is, as shown by many features of the human tale, one of the many symbolic myths of the Vedic cycle. In fact, this tale is recounted uh, in the uh, Mahabharata when uh, the five Pandava brothers are outcast from the kingdom after humiliation of Draupadi, the queen. And they ask this Rishi, sage Markande, is there anyone who has suffered more than this lady, this queen Draupadi, who is by our side, who has been struck by grief and humiliated in this way? Or anyone who has suffered like this, the stroke of fate. Then Markande says, there is one who has faced the stroke of fate and conquered it. So that is how he narrates this whole tale, which is just about 700 verses in the Mahabharata. And Shodhinder has expanded it to over 23,000 lines. So it is the story of the conquest of fate, of death, of ignorance, and all that constitutes our mortality. And where does this story begin? Just like the story of earth, it begins from the dark, unconscious beginning of all things. There comes a point of time when we confront the fact of death, the fact of grief and pain, which we must reckon with in a world made by, the, made by God, made by the Divine. So we have this Canto 1, the joy of union, the ordeal of the foreknowledge of death and the heart's grief and pain. We just read a few lines from top and then we go on to the next canto. Fate followed her foreseen immutable road. Man's hopes and longings build the journeying wheels that bear the body of his destiny and lead his blind will towards an unknown goal. His fate within him shapes his acts and rules. Its face and form already are born in him. Its parentage is in his secret soul. This is a, it's a very interesting line that though we think this is good fate and this is bad fate, but deep inside it, is, it has um, met the approval of the soul. The soul has sanctioned to go through what we in our outward valuation of things call as fortune and misfortune, good and bad. It has chosen to go through it for thus alone can its deepest strength and highest force come out. So its parentage is in his secret soul. Here matter seems to mold the body's life and the soul follows where its nature drives. 
So when we look at the earth as it is today, it seems that we are driven by the whiplash of circumstances and we have to unknowingly, unwillingly follow the path. But there is a deeper truth that Sri is revealing to us. Nature and fate compel his free will's choice, but greater spirits this balance can reverse and make the soul the artist of its fate. So in a certain sense, the whole drama, the, the epic of human life can be regarded as a struggle between the soul's strength and fate. And what is fate but the entire cosmic energy, the titans, the gods and all the rest that conspire to match his soul. So this is the whole beauty and, and both conspire towards one great end that is the other side, as is revealed in Savitri at another place, both love and death conspire towards one great end. And it is to bring out the strength and the sweetness that is inherent in the soul. But greater spirits this balance can reverse. Ordinarily, the soul seems to follow the footsteps of fate. It is helplessly tied as a surf to nature, but there is a possibility that human beings can become master of their fate and reverse this balance. This is the mystic truth our ignorance hides. Doom is a passage for our inborn foes. Our ordeal is the hidden spirit's choice. And NK is our being's own decree. So it may sound very strange that why should we choose such a thing? But we choose it so that the best in us can come out. In one of uh, the very powerful passages, Shubhinda says, If this world is a world of pain and darkness and death, then why think of escape? All the more reason that the children of light and immortality should hurl themselves into it to create here light and beauty and truth and bliss. That's what we are here for. And so we start taking darkness and grief and suffering as raw materials and tools for our work. So thus has this fate been accepted by Savitri very consciously, very voluntarily, in spite of having a choice to choose someone else. She chooses to accept Satyavan, who though a beautiful flower of heaven born on earth, yet no flower of heaven can bloom for long, so it is decreed that this day returning Satyavan must die. So what does Savitri do when we are confronted with an adverse fate? We look for outer solutions and outer means and methods. But Savitri plunges into her depths to find the inner strength. So she is not simply rushing that, well, my husband has to die after one year, so let me get a thorough medical checkup. So let me exhaust all my insurance, make sure that his lipids are in place and his diabetes is well under control and he goes for a workout every day. That would be the normal uh, human way, which is valid at the human level. It's not that one should not do it, but that's the human way of facing things. But there is a godlike way of facing things. And this godlike way is revealed to Savitri. The parable of the search for the soul, Canto 2. Page 474. Now, in the figure of 
her personal tragedy and grief she is confronting the very issue of human life and uh, i suppose that's what marks the difference between uh, one born to linger under the yoke and one born to eventually conquer it we have in the story of yakshika please come we have in the story of buddha that as he steps out he confronts uh, he sees old age he sees a dead man and he sees disease and uh, he chooses he could have made a choice he wonders why should people die why should they be diseased why should they be old age and he enters into discovery of the eightfold path which would free man from the clutch of ignorance and death our responses to life challenges are very personal very egoistic how can i be helped but savitri is taking the whole question of the enigma of fate and she is hearing in her stillness as she is uh, waiting and she is looking within as to how she should confront this uh, terrible ordeal that has fallen upon her she hears a voice page 474 somewhere down the middle in course her mind renouncing thought heard and was mute why camest thou to this dumb death bound earth this ignorant life beneath indifferent skies tied like a sacrifice on the altar of time oh spirit Oh, immortal energy, if it was to nurse grief in a helpless heart, or with heart tearless eyes await thy doom, arise, O soul, and vanquish time and death. A very powerful passage. In another place, Shivendu says that it's a very powerful passage in the Upanishad. where shivendra says lift your eyes towards the sun and see that it is you who have set these stars into the space in their orbits and it is you who walks yonder in the man crouched up and bent it is you who walks who who runs past you in the in a child who, who you know laughs and goes across so and then he says no it is that truth is still closer to you it is within you it is you then he says within your body you carry the one who can destroy and create universes with a single breath so this is the strength which is within us and confronting grief confronting death confronting the enigma of time savitri hears in her own depth this voice which asks her to rise up and vanquish time and death but then she is the avatar and so she has she represents also the human element so in the human heart another reply comes but savitri's heart replied in the dim night that heart is still right now laboring under the grief under the struggle and the pain and so she says my strength is taken from me and given to death why should i lift my hands to the shut heavens or struggle with mute inevitable fate or hope in vain to lift 
to uplift an ignorant race who hug their lot and mock the savior light and see in mind wisdom soul tabernacle so she says why should i do this have you not seen that every time the divine comes down to earth and human beings either crucify him or mock at him thinking their mind to be the utmost judge of everything so she says uh, i am quite capable of shedding my body when satyavan goes and i can walk with him to wherever he goes or wherever death leads him and and she says like like even the traditional yoga that eventually uh, i have i have been told that there is a kingdom beyond and in that kingdom we both can find our own salvation so a few lines below we have this this uh, passage ends with this surely is best to baptize with my faith and follow close behind my lover's steps and pass through night from twilight to the sun across the tenebrous river that divides the adjoining parishes of earth and heaven then could we lie in armed breast upon breast untroubled by thought untroubled by our hearts forgetting man and life and time and its hours forgetting eternity's call forgetting god says there is a possibility and i know that that i know that beyond this earthly mortal sphere there is a realm of peace and joy and i can walk with satyavan disinvested of our mortal cloak and both of us can be happy there and then then her own deeper being tells her the voice replies is this enough o spirit and what shall thy soul say when it wakes and knows so this is a bad dream that is a good dream this is the difference so even the heavens beyond are nothing else but another kind of dream another kind of realm in the ascending scale but the soul and god they are vast and all encompassing the work was left undone for which it came or is this all for thy being born on earth charged with a mandate from eternity a listener to the voices of the years a follower of the footprints of the gods to pass and leave unchanged the old dusty laws so is this why you have been coming to earth in fact this is a question we all can raise have we really been coming to earth for this that we come we are born we live a while and we die this is a story that someone went to a king and the, the king asked someone that uh, his minister that can you write to me the story the history of the world so he said all right it will take me time so 10 years he worked and compiled from lot of sources history of the world and at the end of 10 years on 10 donkeys 10 volumes he carried into the king's court and said this is the history of the world king said look 10 years have passed and my eyesight has become weak i cannot read so much can you make it compress it into a little more so he again works another 10 years pass this time there are just about five donkeys and five volumes on each king says don't you see i have already developed heart disease and diabetes and i am very near to you know brink of death can you compress it because i don't want to die without knowing the history of the world this is my passion <laughs> so this man says you know 
I have worked so many years that I can tell you tomorrow what is the history of the world. So he comes next day, <coughs> no donkeys, no books. He says, where is the history of the world you promised? He says, I have studied so much that I have com compressed it into a small little book with three small sentences. He says, what is that? He says, men were born, they lived, they died. <laughs> this is the old dusty law. <laughs> we are born, we live, we die. But that's not what the soul has come for. Nor has it come for escape from this sphere because if that was the crown of its victory, then why come at all? Yes, please come. It could have continued uh, in its realm of uh, in its realm of uh, beauty and bliss because it was not compelled. Shabindu says that the soul had no original karma because you know people often say it is here on earth because it is bound by karma. So Shabindu says that to begin with the soul had no karma. So why did it come into this fear of ignorance and mortality if it was only to get back to the state from where it came. So it is a kind of uh, metaphysical paradox. So there is something greater. There is a work for which we are here and Savitri is showing us the way. She is challenging fate that fate is only the other face of God and we are here to change this mask into something more beautiful, something more worthy. So, after Savitri hears this, this is a very beautiful description of her inner state, next page, then Savitri's heart fell mute, it spoke no word. A power within her answered the still voice, I am thy portion here charged with thy work, as thou myself seated forever above. Speak to my depths, O great and deathless voice, command, for I am here to do thy will. And I suppose this is a very powerful beginning of yoga. In the Gita, the very first chapter is called as Arjuna's Vishad Yoga. It is the yoga that is done in grief, in ignorance, when we are confronted with the enigma of death and fate. But we can take one of the two approaches. One is, we can take the approach of Duryodhana, the arrogance of the mind and its personal power. Or we can surrender and ask, tell me, what am I here to do? And I am here to do thy will. So it's almost equals that strong feeling that Arjuna would have received when he is confronted with death inevitable, the dance of death. It's very interesting because there is a parallel here. Uh, the, the Gita is given, the Gita is the word of life, but given when one is facing the dance of death all around. And Savitri we see is born in the depths of Savitri, the incarnate's heart when she is facing equally the enigma of death. So, uh, death is a moment of intense concentration of our consciousness. It reminds us of transience, but because we are a portion of that eternal permanent, we must create here. As Sri says, build immortally with transient things. This is the task given to us, which is a difficult task and yet we have to do it. So, she says, tell me what am I here to do and I'll do whatever thou commandest me to do. And then we have a program.
this what I always feel. This is a very good program which can be taken as a printout and put into our place, not just to put there, but to every day see how much we are walking on it. And it's a whole program given to Savitri, and it's a program of yoga given to man. And actually, even in one uh, sentence, we can practice in well a year, not lifetime. It would really lead us on the path. So, what is this program given to her? The voice replied, "Remember why thou camest." So, this is the thing to be always remembered. Why have I come on earth? Is it only for the transient satisfactions, as we have read this morning? There are provenders for this flesh's satiety, but not for the bliss of the soul. So we have to keep reminding ourselves. There's a very interesting Sanskrit sloka in Ishupanishad. Towards the end, it says, "Om Kritosmar Kritamsmar Kritosmar Kritamsmar." Oh, will that which was remember? And it says, "What you should simultaneous there is a simultaneous remembrance." It says. Vayuranil amritam achedam bhasmantam shariram. This body goes to the ashes, but remember that there is within you a will. Wake that up. Remember that which was done. It's a very cryptic word, but here we are being told because Savitri is showing the path. Remember why thou camest. This is something which we have to always remember. Find out thy soul. Recover thy itself. The mother says in one of her passages uh, on psychic education that. we must carry this all the time as a background it must be the inner brooding state that's what is tapasya it is an inner brooding state and that is that how to find my soul where is it so that must be an inner state in our consciousness find out thy soul recover thy hidden self in silence seek god's meaning in thy depths not fill the silence with more and more crowd then mortal nature change to, to the divine it's like giant steps <laughs> remember why thou camest then you are here to find thy soul that aspiration then in moments of quietude and silence seek god's meaning in thy depths the next step is then change mortal nature to the divine and again we are given a further program open god's door enter into his trance cast thought from thee that nimble ape of light if you rely on the all sufficiency of the thought and the mortal mind we cannot hope to see the soul in fact the mother says that in, in the psychic education she says the very first thing uh, if you want to walk into this path to find your soul she speaking in terms of psychic education yeah please question yeah we will have so he says that the very first thing is he says is to know that the mind cannot judge spiritual things this is the very first thing because as long as there is this all sufficiency of the intellect it cannot find it serves as a barrier so here we are not being asked to become irrational morons but to quieten the mind so that we can go deep inside it's not to discard and throw it away as a useless thing but to keep in its place let it be there a greater light will come and illuminate then thought will know the way it should know so here we are being told cast thought from the that nimble ape of light we think that we have found the light but as elsewhere shubhendra says we only play with our, our own brilliant bonds for still the human limits the divine thus is it so even with the seer and the sage 
So as long as the mind is active, it cannot find that light. It will have some reflection and it will weave a lot of beautiful things from that but yet it is the rainbow and not the sun which is behind it. Next, in his tremendous hush, stilling thy brain, his vast truth wake within and know and see. So it is a different kind of a knowledge, a new knowledge which wakes up within us and we can see in that light. Cast from the sense that veils thy spirit sight. So next step is, not only the mind must be still, the sense and their entanglement and meshings in the world. So all the time we are moving from appearance to appearance and another place in Savitri, Shodhinda says that how man still a child in nature's mighty hands in a, in a succession of the moments lives to a changing present is his narrow right. He sees image in garments, not a face. So we are seeing fleeting appearances and we clutch at them while the appearances have gone far away. We still clutch at them. New appearances come, new appearances come and so long as we are uh, entangled with the flux and flow of surface things, we cannot go deep inside to find our soul. So the next part of the program is cast from the sense that veils thy spirit sight. In the enormous emptiness of thy mind, thou shalt see the eternal's body in the world. Know him in every voice heard by thy soul. In the world's contacts, meet his single touch. All things shall fold thee into his embrace. So long as, you know, this duality in which we live, pleasure and pain, happiness and grief. So that's why equanimity is required because as long as we are carried away by this duality even of pleasure and pain, in fact uh, in one place should, uh, the mother says what is the sign of preparation for physical transformation, let alone physical transformation, the sign that the Agni is lit in the body and is ready, the body is ready for the conversion, she says there is an equality to the touches of nature, in fact Gita hits at it as Matra sparsh, you know, the sparsh to the indriyas, the senses, they constantly are carried away by it's too hot today, it's very cold today, it's very breezy today, it's chill today. So all this, when the senses are not moved by that, the very physical being is stable and is able to bear even the shock of the physical touches which move it, then all things fold into his embrace. Then we find the sure embrace of the divine who stands behind it. And then at next level, conquer thy heart throbs, let thy heart beat in God. So not only the mind and the senses, but also the emotional being has to be quietened, stilled, and the heart that once loved man must thrill to the love of God. That is how Savitri says, it speaks of the evolution of love. It says that all our earth starts from the mud and climbs to the sky. And love that was once an animal's desire, then a sweet, rapturous madness in the heart, then a happy and ardent comradeship in the mind, turns, uh, becomes a lonely ground seeking for the alone. The heart that thrilled once to the love of, God, love of man, now thrills to the love of God. So this is the whole journey and here we are being told, Conquer thy heart stops, let thy heart beat in God.
then we can become what we should be. Thy nature shall be the engine of his works. Right now our nature is simply driven by the fuel of desire and by the master of ego. Then it must be driven by the will of the divine and it must be fueled by the infinite Shakti. That's how Shivindu says in another place that right now we are driven by these two. So desire is a poor fuel. It pushes us. But very soon it generates so much smoke that it begins to stifle us. So it must run on the pure, most efficient energy, the solar fuel. So the solar fuel is the divine Shakti within us. Thy voice shall house the mightiness of his word. Then shall thou harbor my foes and conquer death. This is the program given to Savitri and this is given to her for man. Then there is a whole revelation. She looks back and sees the whole cosmic past and the forces that are active. And there is a very uh, grisly description of uh, what is happening inside the human consciousness. The subconscious genes that invade and master his house and can completely overthrow reason, overthrow, uh, run a riot on the senses and hold even the psychic being at a rebel's holiday till finally the soul abandons this house and goes away. It's a very <laughs> dangerous description of the, the darkness that lurks in the human depth. Page 482. We will just read it quickly. I won't read the full passage. Page 482. She sees the grim possibility that threatens human consciousness. So there is an urgency to find the soul. Because that's the one hope. This evil nature housed in human hearts. While man is born to express the divine in life, it's possible that he can, instead of that, become the instrument of a dark and diabolic design. This is a little story of uh, the animals uh, once coming together and saying, why is man the most superior of creation? So the dog says, I am more faithful to man. And uh, the jackal says, I am smarter than man, more intelligent, surely. And, uh, you know, uh, the tortoise says, I am so much more steady and patient than man. So why is man regarded as the greatest of all creation? So they go and ask the creator, that why, why, have you, why do you say man is the peak of all creation? So he says, uh, the creator says, you know, the thing is that, yes, I agree that individually all of you have wonderful qualities and your individual qualities exceed man. But the beauty of man is that he can bring all these qualities and take them to their zenith. So animals say, yes, that we understand. So he can not only be, he is not fixed to a small little type. Each animal has one type of quality and he is fixed within that. So animals say, that's very fine, but they say, we don't often see man doing it. So, <laughs> so what about that? So the creator says, in that case, he is worse than an animal. So, you know, both are satisfied. The animals are satisfied. And so also... Uh, you know, he, he speaks of man. So here, she sees that possibility that is threatening the human consciousness and to what extent it can go. This evil nature housed in human hearts, a foreign inhabitant, a dangerous guest, 
the soul that harbors it, it can dislodge. Expel the householder, possess the house. The householder is the, the divine essence within us, the psychic being, and it can go to that extent. It can throw out the householder like some teenagers we find in, you know, back home. <laughs> so, an opposite potency contradicting God, a momentary evil's almightiness has treadled the straight path of nature's acts. And how does it act? There are two ways this falsehood acts. Mavnida says in one place that falsehood is not only that which denies the truth, it is also that which imitates truth. And it's the most dangerous disguise because denial of truth is one, the second is it imitates. So, says it imitates the Godhead it denies, puts on his figure and assumes his face. A Manishian creator and destroyer this can abolish man, annul his world. I am the Lord, I am the boss, I am the inheritor of the forces of the earth. We will see into the soul forces. What is this manician creator and destroyer? What is this evil nature housed in the human heart? In great length, Savitri will reveal to us. But right now we are only given a little promo of the whole scene and how dangerous it is. But we end with these two lines of hope. But there is a guardian power there are hands that save. Calm eyes divine regard the human scene. So right behind this tragic comedy unfolding of the earthly play, there is a guardian power which watches and intervenes just at the right moment and turns things to the right course. So this is what Savitri discovers and towards the end of this canto, page 486, there is a beautiful portion which uh, is one of my favorites because it, it's the state we have to be if we have to search the soul. What should be our inner condition? Often, you know, uh, we have a lot of uh, external conditions told about, you know, this way you should seek, sit, this is the mantra, this is the point of concentration, all that is still an externality. But there is an inner condition if you want to discover the soul and that is revealed here. Page 486. It marked her the center of a wide-drawn scheme, dreamed in the passion of her far-seeing spirit, to mold humanity into God's own shape and lead this great, blind, struggling world to light, or a new world discovery or create, or a new world discover or create. So Savitri is a center of this great journey. She is doing it for man, which will be told to us again on next page. And she becomes the center of a great work which is being done. Earth must transform herself and equal heaven, or heaven descend into earth's mortal state. But for such vast spiritual change to be out of the mystic given in man's heart, the heavenly psyche must put off her veil and step into common nature's crowded rooms. So this is the change required. Now the state and stand uncovered in that nature's front and rule its thoughts and fill the body and life. It's not enough that in some moment of inwardness we find the touch, the glow, the warmth and the sweetness of the soul. 
it must stand in front of our very thoughts and acts and will and all our hopes and feelings must be inspired by that inmost deity and something still further obedient to a high command see sat time life and death were passing in sense so this is the thing which hits us to find the soul this has to be the inner attitude even if heavens fall and everything around me perishes still i sit and concentrate this is called asan in actually it means this asan is sitting on the shirvindo gave this advice to anil baran when anil baran he was a great intellectual and uh, he was given the privilege of staying in shirvindo's previous home and yet he left and went away because he became a political activist and he always believed that it is through political means that the solution can come now when he came to shirvindo shirvindo gave him only one advice don't he said in bengali but i am uh, translating in english that whatever happens don't let yourself shake from your asana so you know this obviously he didn't mean that day and night you sit in one position it's a attitude inside that one takes and one doesn't move whatever happens time will unroll many things pleasant and unpleasant life will sometimes peep through our doors and say happiness bye bye and sometimes death will strike us at a most unexpected hour and yet we have to sit with that firm will because what are these obstructing with their transient view her sight we must seek that her sight that must break through and liberate the god imprisoned in the visionless mortal man the inferior nature born into ignorance still took too large a place it veiled herself and must be pushed aside to find her soul this is one of the places where shivendra says do you think that the mother and myself were busy finding flesh pots in egypt <laughs> flesh pots of gold in egypt he says that do you you know when one one says he jokingly says he says to every prani well maybe if we would have followed another line i would have been like an ics officer in purani you would have been a government uh, high government official but that's not what one is here for that is just an incident they are there as just the passage of life they are not the real thing that's not what we are here for and then when she sits with that command we have on the next page the avataric aspect of savitri is revealed and this aspect is very very beautiful the next page the entry into the inner countries for man thou seekest not for thyself alone so in savitri there are such beautiful passages and cantos but this particular the book of yoga is most specifically meant for us because this is the path given to us we cannot take giant strides like shurabindo climbing from one peak of mind to the another one straight through higher mind illumined mind intuitive mind over mind and super mind the way shurabindo has done it's really uh, you know actually many many layers he has compressed when he speaks of mind to higher mind he makes it appear as one plane but in actual ascension one encounters many many subplanes and one can easily get mistaken that oh this first thing is higher mind whereas one is still only in the higher reaches of the mortal mind 
So this is the door which is a shortcut. At one place the mother says, my child it is the heart that has wings and not the head. So this is what she is liberating in us and for us she is releasing that inmost psychic being and creating the passage. Right now the passage was closed, let's put it like that, now it is open. The passage was closed, so even if human beings tried, they could not seek it because uh, through the dust of centuries, time had obstructed it. So she is clearing the passage, removing the debris, making the straight path so that man can, by a little inward turn, find it. For man thou seekest, not for thyself alone, only if God assumes the human mind and puts on mortal ignorance for his cloak and makes himself the dwarf with triple stride, can he help man to grow into the God? So this dwarf with the triple stride is the little being no bigger than the thumb of man, who yet in one foot is on earth, the second crosses the mental heavens and a third one on the worlds of life. In fact, it's very beautifully described in one of the uh, in the Rig Veda also in the Kathopanishad that it is the mystic swan with one foot on earth and the other in heaven. And were it to lift the other foot, the whole earth would collapse because it keeps one foot here. So this is the inmost soul and she must assume man the Godhead must assume the human form and become the dwarf with triple stride. Can he help man to grow into the God as man disguises the cosmic greatness works and finds the mystic inaccessible gate and opens the immortal's golden door? Man, human, follows in God's human steps. The divine becomes human and he seems to struggle to find. Why? Because he has to take the entire burden of man that even the worst man, if he has to find, what should be the way? So it is not enough that he only finds the passage for the best <laughs> human beings. We have that famous letter of Shirobindo where he says that if only sattvic men were called to yoga, the problem of the more rajasic and tamasic man would be left untouched and unsolved. So he has to do the work for everybody and make sure that, of course, by that it doesn't mean that automatically everybody awakes. One has to make the inward turn. But the basic things have been cleared, the road has been built, the passage cut. Now we have to just make the inward shift and walk. And it's amazing that how much you know, one can be rewarded in this journey, just a little opening. Accepting his darkness, thou must bring to him light. Accepting his sorrow. Thou must bring to him bliss in matter's body, find thy heaven-born soul. Uh, again, the other way they are reading, Mother says, My child, there is not a single illness or disease that I have not taken upon my body. And she says, because I had to work upon it. And then she says, of course, uh, it could be done because uh, I have no fear. My body knows no fear and it is receptive to the higher forces. So in one sentence she has revealed to us the mystery. Everything is possible because she has done it. But only thing is we have to have trust, open to grace and allow her to act 
upon us making this body more and more receptive to the outpouring of the soul and the downpouring of the heavens rains now there are three levels of uh, obstacle and difficulties that we encounter when we enter into the inner countries make the inward shift the first is of course actually we can say this is from the worlds of matter the worlds of life and the worlds of mind uh, shivinder at one place says that if uh, in one of the aphorism that if human beings could have a little glimpse of what infinite tracts of joy delight and knowledge uh, lie above it would lead leave everything in rush towards it but the way is hard and narrow difficult to force and doubt distrust and skepticism stand as sentinels so they don't allow to go so she has to make sure that all of them are worked upon and the way is narrow and hard to force what is that way the matter matter is dense obscure and we are trapped our consciousness is trapped in it and messed by the senses from childhood we are conditioned to believe not only that all our education make sure that whatever inner sensitivity we have is enhanced so when children are born they still have some touch of the uh, wonder and the joy which is natural to them but as they grow up they are told all this is imagination don't live in a world of imagination and dreams live in the world of hard reality the hard reality is the sensory reality so as they grow up more and more matter and senses grips its clutch instead of liberating the soul already we start with few a prison with few bars there are more bars put through the process of education <laughs> then we make more bars by desires and we post our own ego as the sentry so in the end of the day that delight which should be our natural state we forfeit it and then we struggle to keep opening these bars which we have ourselves you know created uh, once uh, ranada made a very interesting observation about shivendra's yoga he said after many years now i know what shivendra's yoga is <laughs> jokingly so he said what is it some profound truth he says first create difficulties and then try resolving them you <laughs> 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 see children are so full of wonder and you know when they grow up they think they know everything so you know all the wonder is robbed but actually they know nothing <laughs> but you know we feel you know at the age of mid 20s one believes that you know, one knows everything then life comes to teach you don't know you don't know you don't know so she is now has to cross all these obstacles the first obstacle is the obstacle of nature and the senses and this senses and uh, physical nature is held by elemental energies what are called in uh, in indian thought as bhutas bhutas are not just dead ghosts these are elemental energies and when we indulge too much in the life of the senses then these elemental energies can hang around us and they don't allow us to go inside that's why in yoga it is told that don't uh, you know let yourself be enmeshed in the life of the senses because these elemental energies crowd and the moment one begins to make an inward shift they pull at the brain they pull at thought they pull at feelings and they just won't allow us to focus and go inside they swarm like little thoughts like uh, humming bees so you know these elemental energies with they are there in the subconscious case they will rise up and uh, before one sits down for meditation one felt ah, now i am very fine this is a good state as soon as one sits 
all these will rise up like bees humming all around so these are the elemental energies and uh, this is again a very <laughs> grisly description of that page 490 i'm just skipping many passages we, we have experienced it we all experience how there are states in which uh, before you know the consciousness has become clear uh, when we are harassed and hassled by all kinds of thoughts pulling us in every direction and all kinds of feelings tugging in this direction that direction and it's so difficult to really sit quietly and seek the soul so Savitri has to meet that and it is very interestingly described on page 490 a horde of sounds defied significance enter into any party hall or a marriage hall mm -hmm. it's a perfect description mm -hmm. horde of sounds defying significance you just hear a cacophony you don't know who is saying what into whom so a dissonant clash of cries and contrary calls a mob of visions broke across the site a jostled sequence lacking sense and suit and many persons can enter into this state and start seeing n number of visions and even believe that they are actually, you know, they have found their soul. But this is simply the elemental energies having their play. Uh, sometimes people go and, you know, they pay up, sign up and they are taught a method. Within two days they start seeing visions. So <laughs> without purification there is no yoga. Uh, a mob of visions broke across the site. Feelings pushed through a packed and burdened heart. Each forced its separate, inconsequent way, but cared for nothing but its ego's drive. Each feeling enters a claimant to our attention. A rally without key of common will. Most rallies are like that, though they always have a banner. But everybody is there for a different purpose from somebody who enjoys the eats, other person for socialization, third for an outing, but there is a rally. So it's a very good description. Thought stared at thought and pulled at the taut brain, as if to pluck the reason from its seat and cast its corpse into life's wayside dream. So might forgotten lie in nature's mud, abandon the slain sentinel of the soul, so could life's power shake from it mind's rule. Nature renounced the spirit's government and the bare elemental energies make of the sense a glory of boundless joy. So this is the first caution one has to observe. These things will come and they will trouble. We have to push, push harder and harder. Not to be carried away by them. And a time comes when one crosses that zone. Otherwise they will come and taught and they are pushing us and sometimes in some people they become so active that they, the sentinel of the soul is reason and its task is to organize, to tell them keep quiet, now the master is coming. But very often reason says I am the master, there is no master, don't worry, <laughs> there is nothing outside, I am the boss. So that's the wrong way of reason but reason is meant to organize this jostle crowd. So it can bring that but sometimes that can be overthrown and these elemental energies make of sense a glory of boundless joy and we can imagine some of the parties which are full of the sens sensory enjoyments and which are nothing else but this kind of state. So that state one enters 
make of the sense a glory of boundless joy, a splendor of ecstatic anarchy, a revel mighty and mad of utter bliss. This was the sense's instinct void of soul. This is when delight disintegrates and arrives at the level of the senses and one may well mistake that I am very happy, I am very thrilled and it's you know delight that I am experiencing but it is the very first obstacle, not the last. So after that, Savitri pushes through it and pushes till the door yields and then she enters into another state which is even more dangerous. It is the giant head of life. So that comes forth. So life seizes upon the seeking and becomes a claimant of the consciousness and says, I am the soul. Look what I will give you. And it can fabricate all kinds of things. And that is the second description. We will go on to page 494, <coughs> which is the description of the life soul. Shirvindo says that in the front, there is the desire soul and behind is the true soul. There is a detailed description in the life divine, the double soul in man. And very often when we say my soul says so, it is actually the desire soul which says so. And we think it is my soul's voice. So all these things about soul mate and soul feeling and you know, my soul promptings is, is <laughs> the play of the surface desire soul. And it can mimic, that's the beauty, it can make one feel that this is the true prompting. So, an inner voice could speak the unreal's word, word with a capital W, page 494. Its fusa, dangerous and absolute, could mingle poison with the wine of God. And uh, there are many mystics who get caught into this intermediate zone the other day, you know, speaking of. They can really get deluded and really believe that I have found God and I am an avatar. All these things can come. That is why... Humility is a sinat qua non, the very basic foundation of the path. If one doesn't have humility and one is pursuing yoga for egoistic aims of getting power and stuff like that, one can completely be uh, taken, carried far away. And that's why Shirobindo cautions, to come to this yoga with the idea of becoming a superman is the most dangerous thing to do. Because one is not trying to become a superman for the sake of being aggrandized. It is for the perfect expression of the divine in all humility and surrender. And it doesn't matter whether one becomes a superman or somebody else becomes. It's an offering of oneself to the work and entire self-giving. Whoever becomes, it's the victory of the divine. It doesn't matter. So there is nothing like a personal seeking for that because Shurabindo says that this will lead to a self-aggrandizement and a great disaster. So here we see that on these high shining backs falsehood could ride. Truth lay with delight in error's passionate arms, gliding downstream in a bliss gilded barge, see Esther ray with a magnificent light. So people who enter into that state, they feel, no, no, I have found, I have so many experiences and that's it. So whereas that stream which is gilded is leading towards the abyss. Here in lives, neither realms, all contraries meet. Truth stares and does her works with bandaged eyes. Actually, Savitri has so much sense of humor actually in it. You know, one smiles gently. And ignorance is wisdom's patron here. Those galloping hopes in their enthusiast speed could bear to a dangerous intermediate zone. 
where death walks wearing a robe of deathless life. There is a story of someone who uh, asked uh, mother that I want to take classes on the life divine, I need your blessings. So blessings didn't come. So after some days he wrote back that um, I have Krishna came to me and he has asked me that you can take classes on life divine. So I am continuing, I am starting it. Then the telegram came, mother said, stop, it's not Krishna but a hostile force imitating Krishna. Sitting there, she knew what he is experiencing and you know, they can come in this form because what is happening here is a flattery and aggrandization of the ego. So one has to be so thoroughly vigilant against the promptings of the ego and any kind of aggrandizement that it can lead one far away. So here, uh, death walks wearing a robe of deathless life. We know the story of Hitler and Hitler and his God who actually saw a being with a flashing armor and clothed in light. He was like a luminous deva, but actually he was nothing else but darkness wearing that form. In, in the Rig Veda, in the Vedas, it's described that one of the opponents of that glory, that greatness, that power, that consciousness is called Vala. Vala is one of the like Panis and Vritras, they are obstructors of the light. So Vala is very smart. Vala actually is a small little being who is picturized as running into a hole. He lives in a hole. But when he comes out, he his body is shining. He is actually described like that. So you know, he can be mistaken for a god because gods are luminous, the devatas, you, that's how it comes. But he actually uses a shining uh, coat around him to fool the sadhaka. So, and then it's described as actually then running back into the hole and hiding there. The moment light comes, when Indra comes, he just plunges into that because he that's his safety. So we have the description here. Or they enter the valley of the wandering gleam, whence captives or victims of the specious ray, souls trapped in that region never can escape. This also is described in Odysseus' uh, travels. So you have those regions where the song of the sirens and then you know there is, there are those places where what does the, uh, what is that uh, land where the sheep of the sun have been held captive and uh, there is Sirke. So what she used to do, uh, she would invite everybody to a sumptuous meal. And everybody, she would serve uh, nice, delicious dishes and wine. Uh, you know, she is just symbolic. We should not think that she means she in that sense. But it's an energy. So it's a feminine, I mean, all energies and nature. And then when they have had the sumptuous feast and the wine, she would suddenly turn a magic wand and turn them into pigs and swines. So this was her trick. So Odysseus, sailors go exploring the land, which is very beautiful, and they get trapped there. And then Odysseus goes and when he serves the wine and the meat, he sits there, but he doesn't take it. And as she takes up and, uh, you know, throws the wand, everybody turns into swine except him. So he has seen the whole trick and he then, you know, releases them and, of course, she releases them, changes, the spell is cast away. So turning into swine is literally that, you know, what does a swine do? It uh, lives in the mire and enjoys that mud and mire of earth nature. So this is what it does. Human nature which is meant to ascend to the gods is turned into a creature of the mud and mire. And the worst is 
one feels that one is in heaven. Shobindo says in one of his letters when he is asked what is the state of sadhana going on, he says some are dreaming of lotus lands, others are plunged in the subconscious but having heavenly visions. <laughs> Shobindo knew. <laughs> of course, not every sadhak, they were great ones, but this can be a possibility. So this is the spacious region. Agents not masters, they serve life's desires. And there are plenty of uh, nowadays uh, babas like that who <laughs> go around <laughs> on the house with a dollar tagged to their <laughs> entry entry fee. Agents, not masters, they serve life's desires. See, in one line, <laughs> And they even tell us that, what do you want? We can give you that. So even in others, how do they trap? By serving life's desires, toiling forever in the snare of time, their bodies born out of some nihil's womb, and snare the spirit in the moment's dreams, then perish, vomiting the immortal soul. So once one is caught in this region, most people will remain caught for a whole lifetime. You can't bring them out. They are so convinced about it, and they have to wait for death when that state that world in which they are trapped, the body dies and they are vomited out. Because soul cannot be died, and soul cannot die and it cannot forever remain in that state. And they have to wait for another life. Out of matter's belly into the sink of naught, yet some uncaught, unslain can verily pass. And this is where the story of Odysseus comes to mind, his vigilance, carrying truth's image in the sheltered heart. What is the safety? Another place Shirobindo says in that canto, The Descent into Night, he says, Only were safe who kept God in their hearts, courage their armor, faith their sword, they must walk, children and soldiers of the army of light. A prayer upon his lips and the great name. Here must the traveler of the upward way pause or pass slowly through that perilous realm. A prayer upon his lips and the great name. So always we must carry mother's image in her heart, her presence and always remember her. This is the only safety. Anything that aggrandizes, one should, mother, this is not mine, this is yours. So, and when they go through that, then pluck knowledge out of error's screening grip. There is knowledge even there. Break paths through the blind walls of little self, then travel on to reach a greater life. So this is the second and then we'll uh, just finish with this third movement and then we'll uh, go on to the main canto or whatever question answers. So next is the mind. Now with the mind the obstacle is life, the desire soul aggrandizes. So one begins to seek yoga for self-aggrandizement. Life, uh, the, the, the mind is looking for certitude of thoughts. So it is pursuing yoga to find a neat idea in which we can, through which we can explain everything. So it's like a theory of everything that the mind is really looking for. But actually the divine consciousness far exceeds the idea because, uh, or, or we can say it is the real idea. It's not like the mental thought. So mind is looking for one single thought by which it can unify everything else. And if anything escapes it, the mind cannot understand. Or the mind seizes into the impersonal and regards it as God. 
so that is described this is the third uh, level she must cross the third country these are the three countries 497 towards the end or else for the body of some high idea a house was built with two close fitting bricks this is god and this only a god of this or a god of that and that's it and we don't allow the freedom of the divine to expand in infinity so that is action and thought cemented made a wall of small ideas limiting the soul do this don't do this so this is a set of rules and worship turned to an exclusive god even meditation mused on a narrow seat and worship turned to an exclusive god and we know that how this happens and in religions all the time that my god is the only god and my god is the greatest god my path is the only path my path is the greatest path so all this exclusivist thought is most dangerous because <laughs> it may be that to you the divine has come in a particular way and fine you should follow it in that earnest but it doesn't mean that to everybody the divine must come in that way he can reveal himself in so many ways even he may choose to, he may choose to hide himself in the bosom of annihilation that's what shivananda says that he plays at hide and seek with himself so here we have this wonderful description to the universal in a chapel prayer this is actually very very there is a touch of gentle irony and humor <coughs> in it that uh, actually when i read this line i was reminded somehow the bhai temple to the universal in a chapel prayer whose doors were shut against the universe <laughs> so you know shivananda the knack of humor and savitri is full of humor actually abundant so he one is playing praying to the universal but the universal is exclusive and he is turned away from the universe and he has to be found only in a temple or in a church or a mosque because universal has to be shut there in creed and dogma and formulas of sects if he is universal he is everywhere but to the universal in a chapel prayed whose doors were shut against the universe or kneeled to the bodiless impersonal <laughs> this was uh, one of the things which i had once uh, you know uh, i won't uh, say what religion but someone told you know seeing savitri and going towards <laughs> mother chovindo said you know we don't believe in uh, in in god with a form you know so <laughs> i just asked then why do you kneel before him because <laughs> in that sect you were supposed to kneel so i said who before whom do you kneel actually because if god is impersonal uh, where are you kneeling and to whom you are kneeling so in my consciousness there is no you know irreconcilable contradiction between the impersonal universal transcendent and the personal form of god but you know if you really say strictly that he is only impersonal which is also an exclusivist doctrine then why do you kneel and to whom do you kneel because there is none to kneel so this and the or kneeled to the bodiless impersonal a mind shut to the cry and fire of love a rational religion drives the heart this is the other aspect that you know a religion turns into a takes a very extremely rational philosophical form and the heart's springs of sweetness and delight are completely dried up 
it planned a smooth life acts with ethics rule you know that's how reason can work mm-hmm. or offered a cold and flameless sacrifice there is no ardor and passion in it the sacred book lay on its sanctified desk <laughs> wrapped in interpretation silk and strings <laughs> so it a credo sealed up its spiritual sense so you know we have those priests who would pick up the book and give a meaning and you have to say ha ah, and you know that's it whereas this is a revelation it can reveal in infinite ways to each of us all of us you know when we take a dip into it it reveals itself that's the beauty of this revelation here was a quiet country of fixed mind here life no more was all nor passions voice the cry of sense had sunk into a hush so one often feels that that state is the state of the soul some kind of a touch of the impersonal but look at the next line soul was not there not spirit but mind alone mind claimed to be the spirit and the soul so this is where one has to be very cautious when approaches the divine just through the mind at the most in the life divine shobindo speaks of it in the triple transformation that if you approach the infinite through the mind you will end up with the impersonal you cannot go beyond it because mind ceases so the moment mind begins to cease one wants to stay there because that touch gives a sense of impersonality and it cannot take the leap because it's too much of an abyss to leap so that's what is often interpreted as all kinds of experience uh, mother once uh, uh, well again another great indian figure he asked mother in japan that let us meditate together and we shall meet in the consciousness of nirvana and brahmalok so they both meditated together and uh, the mother says i waited and waited for him <laughs> he was nowhere to be seen <laughs> so she comes down and down and down and down then she sees he had come out from here and hid himself in a small little tunnel and he felt such a nirvanic peace there that he was unwilling to even understand that this is just a play of the mind it is nothing to do with brahman and the <laughs> even nirvana so how the mind can so what does the mind say at that level how does it stop us from going further few lines below traveler or pilgrim of the inner world fortunate art thou to reach our brilliant air flaming with thought supreme finality so in that realm heart will all these are subdued thought supreme finality you are the chosen one the elite others are simply ordinary mortals who are sentimental fools here find it rest from search and live at peace ours is the home of cosmic certainty <laughs> as if anything was ever certain in the cosmos Mm-hmm. except that the divine will will be done <laughs> all this is the realm of the unpredictable here is the truth god's harmony is here that's why all these fixed ideas when we keep in our mind about about what god is and what he is not what he can do and what he cannot do are broken aside through the course of life journey because if we try to limit god into the fixed frame he escapes all these frames and he constantly breaks those so that he can liberate us into a larger and larger vision of himself but the mind says something else 
here is the truth god's harmony is here register thy name in the book of the elite <laughs> admitted by the sanction of the few adopt thy station of knowledge thy post in mind the ticket of order drawing life's bureau and praise thy fate that made thee one of ours <laughs> रीजन here is the safe clarity of the sword of light here is the victory of a single truth here burns the diamond of flawless bliss a favorite of heaven and nature live but savitri says she cast sights deep release the heart questioning in her voice and now look at these powerful lines but to the two satisfied and confident sage one can become like a sage at that level Savitri replied casting into his world sights deep release the heart's questioning in her voice for here the heart spoke not only clear delight of intellect reigned here limiting cold precise so species speaks from the heart for in that region there is no heart so she brings the power of the heart into that region happy are they who in this chaos of things this coming and going of the feet of time can find the single truth the eternal law untouched they live by hope and doubt and fear happy are men anchored on fixed belief now this is the fixed belief which is the birth home of religion that god is like this god is like that thus alone he can act thus alone he cannot act he is vast and infinite happy are men anchored on fixed belief in this uncertain and ambiguous world happiest who stand on faith as on a rock but i must pass leaving the ended search truths rounded outcome form immutable and this harmonic building of world fact this ordered knowledge of apparent things here i can stay not for i seek my soul you see i cannot live within this all too clear light where there is no order and passion of the heart no scope for the unpredictable and the illimitable i must pass beyond because this is not where i want to rest then each with his credo just the thoughts he spoke now because there is no that realm cannot understand the deep passion of the heart that seeks for the infinite and the eternal so each one is now judging savitri's aspiration in his own way now this is very beautiful we will stop with that there are four five kinds of judgments passed on savitri each by his credo just the thoughts he spoke so it is the intellect that divides and fragments things who then is the who then is this who knows not that the soul is a least gland or a secretion's fault disquieting the same government of the mind disordering the function of the brain or a yearning lost in nature's mortal house so you know like the petitional scientist says i know what is god he is basically the atom and the electron and the energy which is inside it and you know that's what god is so one of that kind says 
Don't you know? This all this seeking and aspiration for soul is nothing but the pineal gland and you know the thymus gland. Shivendra has taken a dig at it in one of his poems, where he says, uh, "A dream of surreal signs, a thyroid meditating almost nude under the bow tree, received enlightenment and got up and spoke of the eightfold path." So you know he takes a <laughs> takes a dig at these theories of science, which are again from the mental realm. or dream whispered in man's cave of hollow thought so you know if you speak about the soul it is empty rhetoric because it's all nothing but uh, weaving dreams in air who would prolong his brief unhappy term or cling to living in a sea of death but others nay it is our spirit he seeks a splendid shadow of the name of god a formless luster from the ideal realm the spirit is the holy ghost of mind but none has touched its limbs or seen its face spirit is impersonal how can it take a form how can it be a being what are you trying to do it is that mind is that soul's one parent its conscious cause each soul is the great father's crucified son mind is that soul's one parent its conscious cause the ground on which trembles a brief passing light mind soul creator of the apparent world all that is here is part of our own self then someone else says another with mystic and unsatisfied eyes who loved his slain belief and mourned its death <laughs> what a paradox human mind can live in we love our slain belief and yet mourn its death is there one left who seeks for a beyond can still the path be found open the gate so savitri presses further and then as she goes deeper and all these sentinels and sentries have been pushed aside she discovers emerging from her soul powers and godheads flaming forms that are rushing out to help the outer world and these are the first time she meets the beings who are true they are coming from the soul depths now there is something very interesting page 501 this just going to end in the page seeing them when she mingles with the glorious crowd for the first time she feels that she must be like them yearning to the spiritual and savitri mingling in that glorious crowd yearning to the spiritual light they bore longed once to hasten like them to save god's world but she reined back the high passion in her heart she knew that first she must discover her soul rohan's your question you ask the question should one go out and start advertising and propaganda and all this so here she is telling us cautioning us she knew that first she must discover her soul only who save themselves can others save in contrary sense she faced life's riddling truth they carrying the light to suffering men hurried with eager feet to the outer world her eyes were turned towards the eternal source outstretching her hands to stay the throng she cried so even when one is in that brilliant and luminous company one should keep pressing inward it should not be just externalizing oneself 
O happy company of the luminous gods, reveal, who knows, the road that I must tread. This is in the Gita, the Sodharma. It is through those powers of the soul that one can find the gate. For surely that bright quarter is your home to find the birthplace of the occult fire and the deep mansion of my secret soul. Then they tell her, O Savitri, from thy hidden soul we come. We are the messengers, the occult gods who help men's drab and heavy ignorant lives to wake to beauty and the wonder of things, touching them with glory and divinity. In evil we light the deathless flame of good and hold the torch of knowledge on ignorant roads. We are thy will and all men's will towards light. O human copy and disguise of God, who seekest the deity thou keepest hid, and livest by the truth thou hast not known, follow the world's winding highway to its source. So through any path we take, if we go to its depths, we will say there are two ways we can discover the divine, one by going within ourselves, another by going within the world. Either ways we'll discover. So, going within the world is the path, traditional path of Karma Yoga, through which we cut through the world, seeking the one will which is behind all things. And the other is the path of inward turning. And they reveal to her, follow the world's winding highway to its source. There in the silence few have ever reached. Thou shalt see the fire burning on the bare stone and the deep cavern of thy secret soul. And then something very, very touching. It almost reminds one of the pilgrimage taken in the mountains, which is actually the symbol of finding of the soul. This Yatra of Amarnath and all these, they are like reminiscent, symbolic of this journey. Then Savitri following the great winding road came where it dwindled into a narrow path. So you see it is very interesting, the path to the vastness is through a narrow door. One has to go through that process. Trod only by rare wounded pilgrim feet. One cannot reach there even with feet wearing high leather shoes. <laughs> the path is strewn with thorns, one has to accept it. Trod only by rare wounded pilgrim feet, a few bright forms emerged from unknown depths and looked at her with calm, immortal eyes. There was no sound to break the brooding hush. One felt the silent nearness of the soul.